Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. I want to minister tonight and kick off a new series if I'm able. And we're going to track this through this first part of the uh, year. And also, while we are kicking off a new series, we are three days into our 21-day corporate prayer and fasting. And I give God praise for that. Amen. Every morning... We're sending out a link to you that connects you to the prayer guide as well as the the focus and the emphasis for the day that we're on. And so we have an opportunity to consecrate ourselves these next few days in this month of January and really draw near to God. And it's not that we don't do this on a regular basis uh, personally, but we are doing this corporately. And this is our corporate time where we together as a church family seek the face of God. I'm believing for miracles. I'm believing for answered prayer. I'm believing that the all in wonder of 23 will move into demonstration in 2024. We're going to see it happen and we're going to see it happen together. I want to thank the Lord for the seven that were baptized on Sunday night and New Year's Eve. Wasn't that an amazing time? Amen. want to thank God for that. want to thank the Lord for uh, all of you that gathered together and worshiped and praised the Lord. The testimonies that came out Sunday night uh, from the youngest people to the oldest folks that just testified of the goodness of God. Uh, what a privilege to hear that and, and to be part of that. I want to speak tonight and kick this off with this thought, uh, purpose and self, with the emphasis being that purpose is greater than self. In fact, say that purpose is greater than self. Say it one more time. Now, that is the hope that we will believe what we just said that the purpose that is upon my life is greater than my accommodation. The purpose on my life is greater than my comfort level. The purpose on my life is greater than my conveniences. Amen? And so I want to talk to you tonight and dive into this for a little bit. I hope you brought your Bibles and your journals But everything has a purpose. The chair you're sitting in, all 23 inch wide that it is. We could have gone with a 21 inch chair and got more seating in here. But we went with a 23 inch chair because people like to have room. Amen? We don't like to be cramped. So we come early to get our comfortable seat. And hopefully we don't give anyone the stink eye when they get in our row because we want more people because more people are souls and building the kingdom of God with souls. But the 23-inch chair you have that you're sitting in tonight has a purpose. Amen? The car you drive has a purpose. It gets you where you need to go. If you didn't have a vehicle, you would rely on someone else or you'd be catching the bus or Ubering everywhere you go. So the car has a purpose, to transport you here, there, and yonder. The water you drink has a purpose. Without water, you would dehydrate. 
your organs would shut down. So water has a purpose. It replenishes. It refreshes. It restores. Come on. Water has a purpose. The courses you take at school have a purpose. They are preparing you for your assignment. <laughs> All the college people say amen. The courses that you took in high school and said to yourself, I am never going to use this. Where am I going to use algebra? <laughs> Where am I going to use this? But the course has a purpose because it expands your brain. It makes you think. Look at your neighbor and say, your brain surely needs expanded. We go to college so that we might get knowledge. The songs we sung here tonight have a purpose. They were ushering us into the throne room. They were taking the emphasis off of us and putting it on Jesus. We've had enough of us this week. We need more of him. And so the songs that were selected and the rehearsal that took place and the instrumentation and the vocal abilities were all pushing us to a, 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 an apex moment where we would enter in to the presence of God and not focus on anything else, not our bills, not who's not here, uh, not our kids, not the pimple on our forehead, anything like that. We would focus completely on Jesus. Those songs ushered us in. I've often said that the singing of the gospel, the worship segment of the uh, corporate service is the handmaiden to the preached word. In other words, it makes it a little easier to preach when there's good worship. I've been some places where the worship was tight, but it wasn't right. And it was hard to enter in. And it, some folk count clapping on the wrong beat and, and singing the wrong melody. Come on. And, and, and they, you couldn't hear and you were straining to hear, which put a damper on things. Come on, so you can't. There's one thing I will say about Bethel, and you don't have to amen me real loud because we are a loud place, and don't amen that, but uh, you won't struggle to hear here. <laughs> so there's not going to be this, I can't hear what they say, and, which causes a dampening of your receptibility, where you, if you can't hear, then you struggle. Come on, somebody. So the songs we sung took us into a place with purpose. The ministries of the local church have a purpose. We don't just have ministries so that we can say, this is how many ministries the church has. There's no reason to have the ministry if there's no purpose to it. Everything has to have a purpose. That's why we don't just stick anything up on a bulletin board because Bethel has a purpose. Part of our purpose is maturing in Christ and reaching in love. And although there may be a plethora of many purposes that are not bad purposes, if they don't help us advance our goal at an accelerated pace, then they're slowing us down. So we have to make sure that we are on purpose in everything that we do. And so even disease has a purpose. I thought recently about COVID. And thought about in 2020, and when all of that started, at least we think it started then, but all the aftermath of that. And I asked myself, what was 
the purpose of COVID? Well, clearly, its purpose was to bring death and destruction. And that it did. So everything has a purpose. Parents have a purpose. Are you here? My objective as a parent and now a grandparent is to get my children across the finish line, to raise up good citizens, to raise up smart, uh, courteous, kind, humble, um, free thinkers who are not buying into this junk that is uh, agenda today, but biblical thinkers who, who have had a grasp of God's presence because you can't know anything unless the Holy Ghost reveals it to you. And, and so it, my purpose as a parent is not to be my child's best friend. That will come later once I have finished my assignment of taking them as far as I could and I can. Now, they will never be beyond spanking age. Oh, come on, somebody. I know that uh, that don't even sit well with people who now who won't even. Anyhow, we, <laughs> my purpose is to see them to do better than me. I, I, how many parents in here would love to see your children live in a finer home, make more money than you, drive better cars, have higher education? Now, if you're selfish, you won't say amen to that. Because you, it, the world revolves around you. Mm. At some point in your parenting, you realize it's no longer about you, boo. That it's about the people who are coming behind me. And what am I leaving for them? So my parent, as a parent, I have a purpose to raise up. And uh, uh, parents have purpose. Corporations have purpose. Obviously, most corporations, their purpose is the bottom line and they are beholden to their stockholders and, and want to make sure that there's a revenue stream and there is a profit. Instruments have a purpose, amen? Uh, all the instrumentations that was beautifully played. Uh, I mean, we, just, we had a three-piece band tonight and it was full and rocking. They were taking us up. The keyboard has a purpose. The drums, the cymbals, the snare, the kick, the toms have a purpose. The, 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 the bass guitar, whether it be a four string or a five string, depending on how many fingers you have. All have a purpose to take us up. The camera that's before us tonight, the cameras that stream the service live for those that couldn't get here because they're sick or working, uh, they uh, have a purpose to broadcast. Believers have a purpose. The church has a purpose. Purposes of Bethel Family Worship Center are fivefold. Worship, outreach, fellowship, discipleship, and service. We hold to those five purposes so that not only are we a healthy church, but a balanced church. In other words, we're not out of balance or given to extremes in any one certain area. We have to make sure that we are fulfilling the purpose of worship, outreach, fellowship, discipleship, and service. And any area that we lack in, we beef up our efforts to try to do better. 
The church has a purpose. But I want you to write this one down. You have a purpose. Say that with me. You have a purpose. My question tonight, maybe one of many, is are we as resolute and persistent in our pursuits? Are we running after our purpose? Did I run after my purpose when I saw myself coming to the house of God and drove through drizzle? Drove through dark drizzle. Made it here. Had to adjust my lenses and my glasses and my eye, my eye thingies so that I could see to get there and to get back because it gets dark early. It gets dark at dark 30. I mean, it's dark. But... I was chasing my pursuit. I'm in pursuit of something. Not just to sit in the 23-inch chair. Not just to see my BFFs and brag and talk and congregate and ignore new people. I, I am here with a pursuit of purpose. Because Wednesday night for me is about growth. It's about diving into the Word. It's about commitment. It's about saying I'm going to bring my children to student ministry because they need the fellowship and they need to be held accountable because the student ministry is coming alongside of what I do as a parent at home. I can't expect the church to do for me what I won't even do at home. So I position my child. I bring them to children's ministry because I want the word of God to be ingrained in them so that I have a child like little, uh, um, who's the little girl that step, stepped up here? Nyla. Nyla uh, got up here and sung uh, a Sunday ago or two Sundays ago and, and lifted her voice. She was positioned on purpose and let me tell you she was pursuing it I saw her and she was here and she practiced come on somebody so uh, my question is are we resolute enough are we persistent enough to chase after our pursuit in the purpose God calls us to have I just shared with you that COVID's purpose was to bring death and destruction but your purpose is to bring life my purpose is to bring life everywhere I go. So we have a holy calling from the Lord where we are called to be a salt and light in the world. And I believe that we should be the most determined, the most zealous, and the most purposeful people on the planet Earth. I believe every one of us are salt and we are light and we should be sharing the gospel because we are passionate about our purpose. This is not a time for the church to be passive. This is not a time for us to let our guard down and become dormant or to become timid. Instead of bemoaning the decay of this world system around us, the word, the word of God gives us an admonishment. And I want to give that to you in scripture. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul said this, do all things without complaining and disputing. Come on somebody, that already convictions on all of us now from just reading that part. Do all things without complaining and without disputing that you may become blameless and harmless 
Children of God without fault in the middle of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Oh, thank God for the admonishment of Brother Paul when he had to remind me, stop complaining. Put away your long tongue. Quit arguing with people on the internet. Quit disputing over this, that, and the other. You arguing about whether the earth is round or flat, but you haven't led anybody to Jesus Christ. He said, you've got to put away that stuff so that you can be found blameless and harmless, a child of God who is without fault in a crooked and perverse generation. We could preach right there all night. I'm supposed to be teaching, but I, I want you to catch this. I know that some believers are certainly on fire for God. We have a house full of them on this Wednesday night. But I recently asked the Lord and in, in my own conversations, I said, God, what would it take for the church world to awaken up out of its lethargy and out of its complacency for believers to finally shake themselves free from the self, uh, some form of self-interest and become so so consumed and so compassionate um, and compelled with purpose that they were born for. God, what's it going to take for us to come to that place where it's no longer about what I want, but it's what you want. Come on and say amen in the house. It's no longer what I want, it's what he wants. And I asked God that question. And in contemplating that question and that conversation with God, I've been reminded of the sacred fire that burned in the hearts of various spiritual leaders that you and I read about in the, in the scripture and also throughout history. It was individuals who were burning with the fire of God within them, who had a sense of divine call upon their life, a destiny that would radically change the course of human events because they would not be quiet they wouldn't shut up they wouldn't back up they wouldn't get out of the way they stood in the face of opposition and declared thus saith the word of the Lord give us a fire like that Bethel give us a fire like that in our community again may we have such a holy awakening again we are in a time when going through the motions or business as usual won't produce the results we need to see from the church. Now, let me draw your attention to some of the people that leaped up in my mind, David being the first one. In David's day, we read in 1 Samuel 17 and 4 that a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. How many have ever had to face a Goliath? I'm not talking about your sister-in-law. <laughs> a Goliath. Hell has always had its champions. Mm. We see spiritual wickedness rising up and showing its ugly head in our day right now. And while other people cowered in fear, David rose up in confidence, a little shepherd boy, ruddy in his youth. Some commentators said that the ruddiness was not only a reflection of his pale skin, but his red hair, almost giving somewhat of a 
shaded remark that he is the illegitimate son of Joseph. Excuse me, not Joseph, Jesse. Thank you. I knew it was a J. <laughs> that he might just be someone who came on the scene and why does he think he has the guts, the tenacity to do something like this? And yet David refused to cower in fear when he heard the proclamation of hell's champion daring the children of Israel to send them someone who he could fight. And when David challenged this proclamation from this hellish giant, he was criticized by the church. Oh my God. Well, I'm paraphrasing. He was criticized by his own family. Mm. Sometimes the people that know you the most. <laughs> he was criticized by his brothers for his proactive faith. Some people don't want you to achieve great things because if you achieve it, then all the excuses they've been using all these years suddenly hold no water. Look down your row and say, mm-hmm. Because we all have somebody in our family or someone in our life that doesn't want us to do better than them, my God. And so they will judge your faith. David had a proactive faith and this was his response to their criticism. Look at verse 29 of that same chapter. What have I done now? Is there not a cause? If I could divide just that statement, what have I done now? I'm in trouble again. I can't do nothing right with these people. Is there not a cause? That's why I made the pro proactive statement of faith. Because there was a cause in my opinion. And some commentators suggest that David was merely saying that I want you to listen to me. I'm only asking a question. Why are you coming against me? I'm asking questions. Questions aren't wrong. I do believe the spirit in which you ask the question needs to be gauged to your own maturity level because it will reveal your heart and where you are mentally and spiritually. How you ask the question is just as important as the question itself. And commentators believe that David was just restating and saying, is there not a cause? I'm just asking the question. But it's obvious that David did in fact have a significant sense of purpose or a cause operating in his life. And he had been radically empowered by the word of God. Hallelujah. God had birthed 
in David and a covenant-based faith and it propelled David to do great exploits with God. No wonder when he was a shepherd in training and he was a, a minister in training, if you will, that when the opportunity came to defend the sheep that God had given him, his daddy's sheep, that he rent the lion and the bear with his own two hands. Why? Because God knew there was a Goliath down the road and God knew what he had purposed in the heart of a soon to be king that he would have the heart of God he would be a masterful virtuoso of an instrument player who would chase away evil spirits and would rule in the kingdom of God sure he had his problems and he backslid a couple times but can I tell you he ran quickly back to God and God used him in a great way can I just preach to somebody and tell you this that God propelled David because he would do great exploits in his faith. Is there not a cause? David had a fire in his belly. Here's the second person that I could talk about, and that is Jeremiah. He was known as the weeping prophet. I've been under some preachers who cry when they preach. And I mean, the whole message they weeping. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet and he prophesied during the years leading up to the conquest of Jerusalem from the Babylonians. Heavily he knew they would be persecuted and the Bible says in Jeremiah 20 and 9 he got to a point in his own ministry that he said, but if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. I, I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. I got a fire in me and I, 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 oh, I wanted to quit and I, I wanted to give up and I got discouraged because Jerusalem was overcome. But I'm not going to quit preaching. I'm not going to keep quit weeping. I'm not going to quit prophesying. Oh my God, can I tell every preacher, every minister, every teacher and leader in this house, we shouldn't step into this pulpit because we have something to say. Uh, we have to say something, but we should step into this appointment because we have something to say. I'm not just up here tonight so that I could just say something. I got something to say. That's the purpose that was in Jeremiah to prophesy and to weep towards his community. Then I look at Nehemiah, where Jeremiah was speaking words right from the mind and the heart of God. They were like live coals off of the altar. And then here comes Nehemiah, who has a respectable position. He's a prisoner. He's now living in a strange land. He's captive. He don't have options. He has to show up to his post. He has a great position in the administration. <laughs> the Persian king, Artaxerxes. But God had a greater assignment, a greater purpose for Nehemiah. Jerusalem had been destroyed now for many years. And there were some people that came back and 
told Nehemiah that they had recently been to Jerusalem and shared with him what the state of the city was. And oh, he longed to go back home. Nehemiah chapter one, verse two, he describes his visit with them. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the Bible said that he responded, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. God put a burden and a purpose in his heart and God knew that Nehemiah would be ushered in even as a prisoner, even as a captive in a strange land into an administration where he would have the ear of the king and be able to speak. So where you're working at right now, quit complaining about it. Maybe God has put you into the ear width of a millionaire, the ear width of somebody that God could even use a pagan to get your dream to come to pass. Don't let me preach about Joseph here. He, he served everybody. And the last person he served was a pagan and the dream still come to pass because God can use no matter what your station in life is. Hallelujah. And where you are, his purpose was there at that point to rebuild the walls. And that was not just a good idea. It was God's idea. God wanted him to do it. So he had a yearning in him and a burning desire for the reconstruction of those walls. And that was what he lived for. He had purpose to rebuild the walls. And then we look at the apostles. When Peter and John were threatened and told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. How come? How come you could use Allah and nobody get upset? You could say Mohammed and nobody get upset. Nobody want to amen me right here. You act like you're scared. But when you use the name of Jesus, they want to go to a commercial break. Since we on a five second delay, we can cut that name out if we have to. How come that is the state of this world? Because we are right where? Close to the coming of Jesus. And this is what they said to the apostles. Speak no more in the name of Jesus. But here was the response of them Bethel, Bethel, Bethel leaguers. Come on now. They said, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, they said, you can't talk me out, Brother Samuel. You can't talk me out of my experience. I can't nobody tell me that what I have isn't real. I don't have to, I don't have to bow down to false things. I don't have to uh, uh, become shy, afraid to stand up for myself. Uh, you, I can't help 
but speak the things that I have seen and I heard. And I thought, where did that boldness come from, Brother Ron? Where did that boldness rise up in these apostles? They, they had not been lulled to sleep by complacency. They had not been comfortable with the world systems and the agenda that is upon the horizon of the world today. They were not preoccupied with social media. Uh, they were not preoccupied with being in their, having their nose in people's business. Uh, they were not preoccupied in, in all that mess that's in the world that the world had to offer. They were on fire for God and they were men in God who turned the world upside down because they had a fire in their belly. What would it be like if we walk into our place of employment and had the fire of God in the pit of our belly and could not help but speak? A.W. Tozer, he wrote this. The early church was in a wonderment of Christ. He dazzled them and stirred them with such feelings of amazement that they could not get over Christ. All they talked about was Christ. All they thought about from morning to night was Christ. Christ was their only reason for living and they were more than willing to die for him. Then I think of Apostle Paul, one of my heroes. Before his conversion, known as Saul of Tarsus, he had a determination, a purpose to destroy the church. He took Christians to jail and to prison and even executed them. No wonder he would later say to those in the church who did not know if what his conversion was real or not. When he had to humbly come before them under the careful tutelage of Brother Barnabas, who introduced him to the Jerusalem people. He had to let them know, I am and was the chiefest of sinners. But something got a hold of me. Hallelujah. Paul's life was transformed on the road to Damascus while he was out living his best life, doing what he wanted to do, trying to destroy the work of God. God stepped by and said, I called you with a purpose, Saul, and I'm gonna change your name to Paul. And for three days, you'll be blind. But when you open your eyes for the first time, you're gonna see much better. And he baptized him in the Holy Ghost. My God, before the Holy Ghost was ever born. He was baptized in the Spirit of God. There is nothing lax and nothing uncommitted about Paul's experience. He had purpose to preach and carry the gospel message not only to the Jews, but on to the Gentiles. Look at your neighbor and say, thank God he did. Because you and I are now spiritual Jews because we were engrafted in. Paul was 100% in. He was 100. He's 100. And he told the people that he spoke to this testimony out of Romans 9. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. 
My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save you. My God. Who says that today? What we say is, hurry up, I got to go. My YouTube special's coming on. In fact, I'm watching it right now with my earpiece. Who, who even says that today? I would rather be cut off from Christ so that you would know. I, I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. My God, I'm saying, who says that today? How many people are satisfied as long as they and their loved ones are saved? We're good. But who's crying out for the lost? It's the Apostle Paul's among us who are on Damascus roads having experiences that are transforming their life and they're bringing people to Christ. If I could be a little more relevant and jump out of the New Testament, I would say a man by the name of John Knox, Scotland's leading reformer who once knelt in a garden to pray. And he was overheard by another as he cried out to God, God, give me Scotland or I die. He declared the gospel with such boldness that the nation was forever changed. And when Knox died, the king of Scotland said, here lies a man that never feared the faces of men. Tozer, who I just quoted earlier, said, come near to the holy men and the women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and they wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out of season. And when they found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking that they endured. Then I think of Martin Luther King Jr., the great civil rights leader, who said, even if they try to kill you, you develop the inner conviction that there are some things so precious, some things so eternally true that they are worth dying for. And if a person has not found something to die for, that person isn't fit to live. Martin Luther King Jr. was all in. A line had been drawn in the sand and he crossed it. <laughs> A consuming, burning vision governed him. It guided him. It compelled him to move forward in the face of horrific opposition. The man who said, I have a dream, truly did. And the momentum that he achieved and now has applied himself to to see that dream fulfilled in the nation of the United States of America. May I tell you, he died for what he believed in and he changed the course of history because he had a purpose. And we look at these individuals tonight and I want to make sure I'm not leaving the impression that, that this isn't an, a mere issue of emotionalism. I, I don't want you to catch that. 
It's not emotionalism. But I want you to write down what it is. Consecration is not the act of our feelings, but of our will. We're in a 21-day fast. You're not going to feel like fasting. In fact, we're three days in. Some people haven't fasted anything. I'm still praying about it. What's to pray about? And perhaps this is a good time for many in the church, many of us to take inventory and ask ourselves some hard questions. I have to ask myself, am I passionately in love with Jesus? Am I passionately in love with others the way I used to be? Or have I just kind of regressed and reverted somehow to now I just go through the motions. Church time, okay. I'm here. We give our children an option. Do you want to go? Well, of course they're going to say no. I didn't have an option growing up. My mom and dad snatched me up bald-headed. Said, you're going to have your tail in the house of God. Whether you, you're going to live in my house? Well, pastor, I don't, I don't parent that. Let's just leave that there. The fruit reveals itself. When parents just go through the motions, the children's generation are way off beyond that. I have to ask myself, do, do we need to, with the help of the Holy Ghost, do we need to eradicate complacency, religious boredom, or apathy in our lives? What's it going to take? Is it going to take the death of someone very close to you to shake your world? This, just this week, Beverly and I were sitting on the couch, recounted it. I don't, four or five people that are friends of ours all died unexpectedly just this week. We are here today and we are gone tomorrow. Somehow, some way, I have to break this lethargic spirit and complacency that has crept into my life where I just do my nine to five and my Monday through Friday. And if I do a little extra, God really owes me something. Well, the Bible said that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable on the Lord. It is your reasonable service. Look down your row and say, it's my reasonable service. I don't get extra points for this. Think I get extra points for being faithful to the house? I was faithful to the house before I was doing this. What I'm saying to you is at some point in your life, the switch has to come on where you make the decision to eradicate complacency out of your life. And I don't even want to pretend that a New Year's resolution is going to do that because the gyms are full this week. But in a couple weeks... So I have to ask myself, am I preoccupied with earthly and temporal things? So I'm just now, just, I just kind of hang out spiritually. I just hang out and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to heaven. I want to go to heaven. Yes, pastor, I, I'm saved, pastor. But don't ask me to serve anywhere. I'm just, you know, I'm in a season right now where I just, I got to have me. I, I got I to gotta discover. They, your, 
work does not get you time off, give you six weeks off so you can go find yourself. Can we come back to reality? Socialism works for those who don't. At some point, you have to say, I'm going to do my part. Maybe I've become numb and desensitized and I don't have the burning I used to have. And I know this is a hard thing. This is not easy to swallow. You, you know, Wednesday night, you know, God, give us something special. Here it is. I got to have the yearning and the burning. And I got to have it without anybody laying hands on me and prophesying anything. I got to have it without any oil being poured upon me. I just have to be the same person in my character that I should be every day and live that every day so Paul he gets to admonish I'm almost done as they come Paul admonishes Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 look what he says in verse 6 you've read this before I choose to read it out of the Amplified it says this stir up rekindle the embers of fan the flame of and keep burning the gracious gift of God the inner fire that is in you stir it up so I'm here tonight I'm a pot stirrer I'm here I'm here to stir the pot. <laughs> now, normally I stay away from them people. But I am here tonight to stir the pot and make you nervous and uncomfortable and feel like, well, he don't have no right. Jesus gave a hard word when he told the church in Revelation 3 and 2, rouse yourself, keep awake, and strengthen and invigorate that remains and is on the point of dying. For I have not found a thing that you have done any works of yours meeting my, the requirements of my God, or the, nor are they perfect in his sight. What would you say if God said, I ain't found a one thing you've ever done? <laughs> You'd be like, he said, rouse yourself. Awaken yourself. Amen? The message version renders it like this in verse 3. Think of the gift you once had in your hands. The message you heard with your ears, grasp it again and turn back to God. Amen. Going into a brand new year, I'm excited about the future. I see great days ahead. We're working on something. Today we started working on something new that we've never done before. And I'm so excited to tell you about it. And it is not going to be told yet. <laughs> great things are coming. Great things are happening. So the days ahead of us are better than the days behind us. Revival means nothing less than a revolution casting out the spirit of worldliness and selfishness and making God and his love triumphant in our heart and life again. My prayer is that Bethel Family Worship Center will see revival again. And it's not just in these corporate gatherings. It's in your home. It's in your parenting. It's in your spousal relationships. Amen. It's in the way I do life every day. 
I don't want to come to church and put on a big smile and say, well, praise the Lord, everybody, and turn into somebody else. I got to be the same way I am at home and in front of the church saints. Amen? Where the fire of God stays in me and I'm concerned about the lost. And I'm not just concerned about having my me time and my self time. I mean, all of that's important too because Jesus went to the mountain and came back. But, you know, when you go to the mountain and you come back, you ought to have a different character. Can I meddle here a little bit? We have some people who sign up for stuff. I'm not going to name any names. And I'm usually the last person to hear about stuff because I don't sit and gossip. I don't have time to sit and gossip. But sometimes I'll get word, well, you know, this ministry fell through or this didn't happen because this wasn't done or this person was a no-show. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, and and it hurts me to see the leaders who lead those ministries be let down. It hurts me to, to see leaders who should be leading ministries <laughs> let us all down. Preach. What's in there? That's an amen in there. Amen. <laughs> Only the front folks caught that. <laughs> so Not long ago, you know, we had a group that got together and they're supposed to all come together. Everybody's bringing a dish and and, uh, we're counting on one another. You know, if someone's going to bring the potato salad, let me know if you ain't going to make it. Because if you're not going to make it, you were on the list to make it. We don't want to be left out. Everybody's hungry for your potato salad. Everybody had something to bring. How are you going to call... 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes before you know you're supposed to be somewhere and say, I'm sick, I can't be there. Well, it's okay if you're sick. We understand. God will heal you. Let me pray for you right now. Hey, Jesus. And we're understanding because we are compassionate people. But we must be a people of integrity. We must be a people who have a bona fide character. Because what does it say when you don't show up because you're sick, but we see you on the internet out somewhere at the same time? Where's the character in that? Don't tell me God has called you. Well, it's true, isn't it? Sister Donna, she'd be calling people and fill in blanks, you know, we have the media ministry continues. If, if they're not at their post and every camera and every switching and all that, then we don't have a YouTube presence. We don't have a stream presence for the people who attend our church online only because they are elderly and they are sickly and they can't get here because they can't even come Wednesday night because they can't see you to drive. And if that shuts down, they go without. They just have to watch a pre-recorded whatever. So it's at a point where it's just a valuable tool. Now, watching online is not, does not replace in person because it's like having a fake fireplace. You can see it, but you can't feel it. I, I know there's, you know, I mean, but if they don't, if every spot is not filled, if the person up in the eagle's nest, who is that up there? Christina. If she's not up there 
helping me preach. Because you know, back in the day, we didn't need PowerPoint. But don't have it today, and people think the church is falling apart. We expect, we expect quality. That's why people don't bring their Bible anymore. This pastor is going to provide it. What if it broke? I'm just being real. I'm just being real. I mean, you just have to think about stuff. So if they're not at their post, the gospel doesn't get preached on the airways. It's not about me preaching. It's not about who's preaching. It's the message, not the person. It's the message, not the messenger. Who's being the word. As long as that word's going forward. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw. And so we don't know who's in a hotel room that the link goes through and somebody shares the link and somebody was on the point of suicide. So how important it is to know your purpose. Well, I, I, if they'd let me preach, if they'd let me sing, what if God birthed me on this planet and said, your purpose will be in the nursery. You have such a way of nurturing and caring and pouring the gospel into these little ones. You'll be the first people to shape their faith. Yes, there will be goldfish and, and high sea orange drink and spillage and diapers to change. And it will at times just drive you crazy at the parents who don't appreciate. We used to run a bus ministry so often that then there were people who would complain. I thought, how are you going to complain about a free transportation? Because we like to hear ourselves talk. Call the church and leave us and aggravate. I ain't got time to listen to that mess. All the stories we could tell. Come on. The gospel to be preached. And if God called me into the nursery and said, this is your purpose, then I better have a fire in my spirit. To leave such a legacy that 25 years later when they preach my funeral, someone will stand up in the crowd and say, they taught me the gospel. Because they fulfilled their purpose. I ask you tonight, are you fulfilling your purpose? Are you fulfilling your purpose? Are you walking worthy? of your vocation, wherewith you are called. Heads are bowed for just a second. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to search the heart of the church. Ignite my purpose again. I don't want to just come in here, look at the clock and run out of here. I, I want to have such a change in my life in this coming year that my children and my grandchildren Catch that fire with me. I don't want a boring year, God. You're not boring, God. You're not a burden either. 
Living for you is not a burden. Forgive us for complaining, for fault-finding, for over-critiquing. When we ourselves have not been fervent. And I ask those that are watching and I ask those of you that are here tonight. I want you to ask yourself this question and I'm asking it for me. What kind of church would this church be if I got on fire for God again? What ministries could we launch? What families and marriages could we restore if we were all zealous unto good works? So God, forgive me of my complacency. Forgive me of any backslidings in my own heart. Forgive me for complaining when I have a choice every day what I will do. God, forgive me for swallowing hook, line, and sinker this world's agenda and buying into it and letting it so engulf me that it now affects the way I live my life. I want to be I want to be sold out to you. And it's not too late. It's not too late even if bad seeds have been sown and your ways or my ways have been picked up on that shouldn't have been picked up on. Character flaws or complacency or numbness. It's not too late to turn it, to change it and to ask God to recreate and to renew. Oh, David would come to a point in his life after his sin and his restoration to God. He would cry out, God created me a clean heart. God created me a right spirit. Renew it in me, Lord. Don't take your spirit from me. And so tonight, I want you to seek God on this Wednesday midweek. Seek Him. Talk to Him. Father, search our hearts tonight as a church, as a body. I want to be close to you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center.